Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. And as we study it, we invite the Holy Ghost this morning to be our teacher and to be our guide, to open our understanding to give revelation knowledge to our spirits and to direct us into everything willed by you. For all that's accomplished and achieved among us, we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory. I personally thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim with boldness and accuracy this knowledge of the truth that will make us free. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is our text for this morning. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Every single child of God is to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To let other people know about the hope that we have on the inside of us. To let the people of the world know that there is a solution to their problems. We have a problem solver. We have someone who has answers to all of our questions. And whatever it is that we need in this life, He has already made provisions. Amen? Isn't that good to know that we serve a God who thinks ahead? Amen. Amen. Who has already provided all that we need to be successful in life. I mean, He has unlimited resources. And I'm thankful to Him for that. Well, the best way we can be representatives or ministers or witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth is found right here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, But ye shall receive power... Everybody say power. power. Everybody say dunamis. That's the Greek word there for power. You shall receive power, dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Man, you've got dynamite. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's the dynamics of the Spirit. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice, he told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait there. In other words, don't go off and tell people about me yet. Don't think that you can accomplish this work of God in your own strength or in your own ability or by your own wisdom or power. Now, they were genuinely born again before this experience. They had already received the new birth. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They were children of the Most High God. But they still did not receive this endowment of power from on high. So Jesus said, go and wait. Don't start witnessing until you receive power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. If we, beloved, are going to be effective in doing the work of the Lord here upon this earth, we have got to follow the biblical example. We have got to do it the way God wants it to be done, not our own way. Amen? Amen. He said there, you're going to receive power, and then His power or ability is going to enable you to do the work. Now, that word there, dunamis, is in other places of the Bible translated might or mighty works or mighty deeds. And He is saying this, you will receive supernatural ability that will enable you to do mighty works or mighty deeds. Now, just for a moment, let's go back and reflect on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 14, that Jesus went in the power of the Spirit. If you're not familiar with that, you can look it up, but it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 14. Jesus came... In the power, and the word there for power is the same Greek word, dunamis. Jesus himself was anointed with Holy Ghost power. He came in the power of the Spirit, and he himself said in verse 18 of Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Notice, Jesus said the Holy Ghost anointed him with power, with ability with dunamis, 
with working miracle ability or miracle working ability, enabling him to do certain things, to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Notice he didn't say, I am going in my own strength. I am preaching in my own ability. I am going to do these mighty deeds and works because I am a miracle worker. He didn't say that. He said, the anointing of God is upon me. The Spirit of God has anointed me to preach, to teach, to deliver, to heal, to set the captives free. And for those of you that might be unfamiliar with this text, I want you to turn. You're in the book of Acts. Look at chapter 10 of Acts. You'll find the same Greek word there is also used with regard to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 10 and verse 38, it says, How God anointed... Everybody say anointed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and what? Power. That word power, same Greek word. Dunamis, dynamite. Spiritual dynamics. Dynamics are abilities of the Spirit of God. He anointed Him with the Holy Ghost and power. Now notice this. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. Notice that all the works of Jesus are attributed to His anointing with Holy Ghost power. Isn't that true? In other words, before Jesus was anointed, He did not perform one miracle. He did not do one mighty deed. But after Jesus was anointed, this supernatural ability came upon Him, enabling Him to preach, to teach, to heal the sick, and to do all that He did upon this earth. Now, that's how he accomplished the work that the Father had for him to accomplish. Well, beloved, I read somewhere in this Bible, might be somewhere around Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 15 through 20, somewhere in there, where it said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them or harm them. They shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Notice it said all believers, all those who believe on Him. Well, I ask you this question. If Jesus had to be anointed with Holy Ghost power to do the things that He did, how in the world can we fulfill the Great Commission without the same Holy Ghost power? That's an impossibility, isn't it? We also must have the same dunamis or the same ability of God in our lives in order to accomplish the work that God has for us upon this earth. And He wants us to be His witnesses. He wants us to tell others about Jesus. He wants us to reach hearts. He wants us to touch their lives. He wants us to, to do the work that He has for us, that is the work of Jesus, the work that Jesus started, and continue it. And the only way we can do that is by the same power. So without the same power, we cannot effectively minister to anyone. Isn't that true? If the disciples of our Lord needed the same power, where does that leave us? We also must have the same power. See, those that say, well, look, all that ended with the apostles. Well, has the Great Commission ended with the apostles? Has the work of the ministry ended with the apostles? Did not God say to Zechariah over there and back in Zechariah, did He not say to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4 and 6, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord? In other words, you cannot accomplish my work on this earth with natural abilities and talents and efforts. It's going to require the Holy Ghost power in order to do my work. You know what, beloved? Very often the people of God give up. They faint, they lose heart and give up. You know why? Because they attempt to do the work of the Lord in their own strength. And by their own ability. And they trust in and rely on their own experience or their own intelligence. And don't learn how to operate by the power of the Spirit. But once again, I repeat. If Jesus needed the Holy Ghost and power... If the disciples and apostles needed the Holy Ghost and power, and we are commissioned to do the same work that they did when they're upon this earth, 
How can we do it with any less power? How can we do it without dunamis, miracle power? And the answer is we can't. It will require a strong, steady stream of Holy Ghost anointing in order for us to get the job done in our generation. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Well, I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to John's Gospel, chapter 7. In John's Gospel, chapter 7, I want to begin sharing with us about the anointing of God in our lives. I want to share some thoughts about the anointing of God and how it can affect us and affect those that come into contact with us if we will only be yielded vessels and allow God's power to flow through our lives. See, I believe it's essential and important that we understand about the Holy Ghost and about the anointing because it's by that power we minister to others. And it's by that power we get the job done on the earth today. It's by the anointing things happen here on this earth. In John's Gospel, chapter 7, and let's see, let's begin in verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice the expression in verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him, those who believe on him are saved, aren't they? Well, those who believe on him should receive. We can receive Jesus as Savior, but not receive the fullness of the Spirit. And those who believe on him should receive, just like he told his disciples, now that you're saved, don't go off into ministry. Wait until you're filled with the Holy Ghost and power. He was letting them know they had a need to experience a greater working and measure of God's power upon their lives before they could be successful in continuing His works upon the earth. Now, those who believe on Jesus should receive the Holy Ghost. So you can see here that in this particular Verse, he is talking about the Holy Ghost. And in these passages of Scripture, he is referring to a time when believers would be anointed with the Holy Ghost power from on high. Number one. Before anyone can really be filled with a greater anointing in their lives, there must be in them a thirst... For this power. That's number one. If any man thirst, let him come to me and what? There must be a thirst for power. You're a child of God out there right now. Maybe you're not spirit filled. Maybe you are. If you are, it's because there was a time when you thirsted after more of the things of God. You were not satisfied with your experience. You knew there was more to have and you wanted more of it. I recall the night that I got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. Others received this experience before I did and I was jealous. I mean to tell you, I used to get in my little old prayer closet. I just lift up my eyes to heaven and say, God, I want all that you have. I want everything that you have. I'm not satisfied with just being saved. I want as much power in my life as I can possibly get. I want as much of your presence in my life as, as I can possibly get. I want more of you. I didn't really know what I wanted. Because at that time, I wasn't schooled or taught in the Word of God. All I knew was I was saved now, and I want more. Isn't it amazing how once you get saved, you're more sensitive to spiritual things? 
I was saved, but yet I knew I lacked some power. I was saved, but yet I knew there was more out there for me to have. And so I went to a Pentecostal church that night, and I really didn't understand a whole lot about Pentecostalism. All I knew was they had altar calls. I also knew this. When I went there, I was very uncomfortable. Because I was very much reserved. And I would just go in there. I would sit on my hands. I wouldn't lift them up to heaven. I wouldn't do anything like that because I was never taught to do anything like that. And so I would just sit there like a bump on a log and just, you know, watch and look at all the people. I'd say, I'm not going to do anything like that. But there was something that I liked about being there. I wonder what it was. I venture to say it was the presence of God. It was the anointing of God that was manifested in that place. And my heart hungered for it. I didn't like all the antics and all the things that were going on and everything. But I could put up with that for a while just to sit there and, you know, just get blessed. Well, one day, under this Holy Ghost conviction, I made a beeline to the altar. It was a night service and I just got up there as fast as I could because the preacher was saying, if you want more of God in your life, and boy, that was me just the night before, saying, I want more of God in my life. I want more power. I want more ability. I want all that God has to offer. And I want to give Him all of myself. Beloved, before you can have the kind of inflow of power that you really want to have in your life, there has got to be a thirst. I want you to hold your place there, if you would, please. Put a bookmarker there. Put your finger there. Anything there. Cut off a lock of your hair and put it in there. Anything. Just hold your place there. And go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I told my wife yesterday, we're going to have a wild time in church in the morning. You can just sense that kind of move of God. You know, you can sense it building. It builds, praise God. It was building last night. And I want you to see it here. You know, we can say thirst. We can say you've got to be thirsty. You know, and really, do we know what it means to be thirsty in the U.S. of A? We don't know what it means to be thirsty. Do we know what it means to be hungry in this land? Not too many do, anyhow. We know what it means to be thirsty. David knew what it meant. Look at chapter 63, Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. In other words, You're first in my life. I want to see You first. I want to know You. I want to understand You. And my soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now that is thirst. If you're out in a desert place somewhere and you've been there for a day or two and you're parched. I mean, you're to the place, you know, where your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth. There's nothing to drink. You're depleted, you know, of that water supply. You're thirsty. You ever been there? I mean, you need a drink so bad. I, I've had a taste of that only like sometimes I'll do a lot of exercise, go for a jog, play some racquetball and that sort of thing and just sweat and sweat and sweat and finally... You know, after you get your shower and all that stuff and you think I haven't been drinking any water, all of a sudden, boom. Man, get me to the nearest water fountain as quickly as I possibly can because you just have this thirst. God wants us to be like that. We've got to be to a place where we thirst. We have this ardent desire. We have this strong urge. To have more of God in our lives. Look at verse 2. What was he thirsty for? To see thy power and thy glory. So I have seen thee as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In other words, he is saying, look. My desire to see you and your power manifested before my life is strong. I crave it. I have a longing desire for it. It's the earnest intent of my heart. I want it so bad that I can taste it. That's where we got to be. Jesus was here to minister to a hurting people. Jesus saw people in their lost condition. And he wanted to pull them out of the depths of destruction. And his desire to do that was so strong that he totally opened himself up to the Father, totally yielded himself to his will, and then the Spirit of God came upon him. Remember his baptism? He went to be baptized. The heavens were opened. Spirit of God came upon him. The devil 
met him out there in the wilderness to try to get him to bow down. Jesus said no. And then Jesus turned around and went in the power of the Spirit. I mean, Jesus, if you could see him, was supercharged and aglow with dunamis. He was like a stick of dynamite. The dynamics of God's ability and power ready to explode in people's lives everywhere he went. And I mean to tell you, he exploded on the scene like no one else. He did things that men marveled at, didn't he? And how did he do those things? Filled with and full of the energy of the Spirit. Dunamis, it's called. Beloved, do we yet realize what we've tapped into when God says, you too shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you? We're only beginning to to, to scratch the surface as far as understanding what power is on the inside of us being Spirit-filled people. You've got to have a thirst. You've got to have a longing desire. You've got to have a craving for the things of God in your life. You've got to want to see people set free by the power of God. And you want to empty yourself of any wrong motive or heart attitude or desire whatsoever. And you want to say, I'm empty of self and I want full of God. And if you thirst like that, beloved, I was thirsty like that that night that I went before that altar. I told the man that was there about to pray for me. He just said, what do you want? I said, I want to give God all of my life. And I says, and I want all that God has for me. He just sat, he knelt there at the altar and he looked at me and said, well, then you want the baptism in the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. I said, I do. He said, that's exactly what you want. I didn't know what I wanted. I wanted God in my life. I wanted more of God in my life. I wanted more of God's ability in my life. I craved it. I longed for it. I was thirsty for it. Just as as David said, he had a hunger for it. To see God's power manifested through his life. In his life. Through his life. And I got it. I mean, I was there on my knees. Next thing I knew, this guy is just not saying a word to me, not giving me any instruction. He's just kneeling in front of me, praying in the Holy Ghost. And if I were an officer, I'd have picked him up for speeding. He's going so fast, it was unbelievable. I never heard anybody speak in tongues so fast in all my life. But, you know, I wanted to run, to be frank about it. My flesh wanted to run and just, you know, run away from all that. Just get out of there and just go away. But I knew what I said on the inside that I wanted, so I knelt there and I stayed there. And you know what? The presence of God was rich. The presence of God was just so marvelously manifested. I just knelt there. Not even really knowing what I wanted, but he must have known because he's been in a lot longer than I have. And he said, that's what I need. That's what I want. That's what I'm hungering for. That's what is happening on the inside of me. That's what God is drawing me to. And there I was. And I'll tell you what, there came upon me the fire of God. There was a burning upon my tongue. There was a flame of fire that was burning so brightly upon me. It was just like my tongue was literally on fire. And after 45 long minutes, I mean, it was a long time for me to get filled with the Holy Ghost. 45 minutes later, to make a long story short, I spoke with other tongues. But you know what? Lo and behold, I got more than tongues. I got a divine personality. The third person of the Godhead packed his bags and moved into my heart, into my life, and took up residency with me and said, I'm there not as a visitor, I'm there with you forever. Get used to this house guest because I'm right there on the inside of you. And I'll tell you what, when he moved in, beloved, my life changed again. I changed when I got saved, but I really changed again when I got spirit-filled. You see, there was a dimension of God in my life that I never had before, that experience. And I'm telling you, that anointing enabled me to do things that I could never accomplish or never do in the natural in my life. It was an endowment of supernatural power from on high. Go on back to John 7. Did you put your lock of hair there? John chapter 7. Before you can have this, this mighty infilling of God's power, there must be a thirst in your life. You must have a, an ardent craving for the things of God. You must want to have this like, like you've never wanted anything before in your life. And that's how you've got to go to God. You've got to say to Him, this is what I want and I need it and I cannot live without it. I cannot minister without it. I can't speak for you without it. I can't do anything without your power in my life. Now, secondly, before there can be a continual outflow of this power in your life, there has got to be a constant inflow of it. See, very often after we become spirit-filled, 
We still want to have a continued outflow of this Holy Ghost power doing the work of God through our lives. But before we can have that anointing flowing out from us in a powerful way, we must recognize the need to have a continual or constant inflow of this power. Notice here, Jesus said, in verse 38, He that believeth on me... Well, let's back it up. Let's back it up. Latter part of verse 37. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and what? Do you know if you stop drinking, you'll no longer be full? Isn't that true? In the natural. If you stop drinking water and you say, I'm not going to have any water for a few days, you're not going to be full, I guarantee it. You're going to get dehydrated and you better start drinking or you're going to die. Isn't that true? Spiritually speaking, the same thing is true. Anyone who has a ministry here today, and really we all have ministries because we're all ministers. We have the ministry of reconciliation. In order for us to have a constant or continued outflow of this power of God, this dunamis power, there must be a constant inflow. And the only way to experience that is through the process of drinking in the waters of the Spirit. Jesus said, Come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, then out of his belly shall flow rivers. Do you see this? You want rivers flowing out from you? We sing the song, There's a river of life flowing out from me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors and sets the captives free. There's a river of life flowing out from me. It's okay to sing the song, but singing the song doesn't get the job done. In order for the song to be true and its message, there must be a constant infilling or drinking in of the Spirit. And we'll talk about how we do that a little bit later. But that's the second important thing to know about the anointing of God. Number one, you must have a thirst. And then you must drink in constantly in order to have a continued outflow of these rivers of life. Thirdly, the anointing of God empowers us to do things that we cannot do in the natural. And one of those things is... He anoints us to talk to people about Jesus. He anoints us to preach. I didn't say preach because some people don't like to hear that because they don't think they're a preacher. If you're a Christian, God has made you a preacher. Because if you're to witness Jesus to somebody, that means you've got to talk to them about Jesus, right? So the Spirit of God or the anointing of God will come upon you and flow out of you enabling you to talk to people about Jesus. In other words, He will anoint your words. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, or let, let's, before we do that, let's look at verse 45. Let's move on down from where we're at. Look to verse 45. John seven forty-five. Here was a time when Jesus went about teaching people, preaching in the synagogues and doing all kinds of things. And the rulers of the land were upset at what he was doing. And oftentimes they sent people out to arrest Jesus and bring him in for questioning to find out what, who gave him the authority to do the things that he was doing. And this was one of those occasions. Look at verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said unto him and them, Why have ye not brought him? They were sent out. Those officers were sent out to bring Jesus to them. And they questioned the officers. Why have you not brought him? The officers answered. Listen to what they said. Never man spake like this man. They heard his words. His words were anointed from on high. When he spoke, they were not impressed by his oratorical skills. They were spellbound 
by the power of the Holy Ghost that was manifested as he spoke. They went there to arrest him and they stood there mesmerized as Jesus spoke the word. Look at the next verse. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? See, something was happening, beloved. As Jesus spoke, more and more were affected by the words that he spoke. But those words were anointed from on high. And those words had the ability to touch the hearts and the lives of those who heard them. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. A text I believe you've read before and you're familiar with. But I believe it's just important to reiterate these truths. Because you see, the Holy Ghost will also take your words and anoint them. Beloved, when you begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, I want you to be more conscious of the Holy Ghost anointing upon you as you speak than anything else. Because you might think that you're not qualified or you're not capable, but you don't have to say a whole lot when the Holy Ghost is upon the words that you are speaking. Because you see, the words that you speak then go forth in power to penetrate and pierce the hearts and the minds of the people. And then the Holy Ghost is also working on them. And the next point we'll bring out, we'll explain that. But right now, the point is this. When you speak, you can yield to the Holy Ghost in such a way that it won't even be you. It'll be the Spirit of your Father in you. Look at Matthew 10, 19. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. You spend some time in your prayer closet with your Father. And you say, Father God, I long to have your anointing upon my life. I thirst to see your power manifested through my life. I don't want to witness in my own strength or ability. I don't want to testify with words of men's wisdom. I want what I say to be empowered by your Spirit. I want, as I speak, it to be the Spirit of my Father in me who speaketh. And beloved, if you have that longing desire and urge within you, this will happen. I've been there and I know you've been there also. All of a sudden, someone strikes up a conversation and you begin to talk to that person about Jesus because there's an open door, when all of a sudden it's like a cloud falls on you. Have you ever been there? And you start saying some things, and then if someone were to ask you maybe an hour later what you said, you might think, it's hard for me to remember everything that I said. All I know is that I began to speak. And that person's heart was touched and life was changed because of the words that you spoke. Was it you? No. It was the anointing of God. Giving you this added dimension, this dunamis, this miracle ability in such a way that the words you spoke pierced the hearts and minds of the people. And they responded as, of, as a result of what you said because of the anointing that was there. Also in connection with this, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel if you would please. If you happen to have a ministry a singing ministry, or even a ministry in music. Even when you come to church, you're going to recognize this more and more. You can have a ministry in music and in singing, and you can be the most skilled musician there is, and the most capable singer there is. You can have perfect tune, a perfect ear, perfect pitch, and all that, and be well-schooled and well-taught, and you can sing a song so perfectly 
that it is 100% accurate music-wise. But you know what? It has no life-changing effect upon the human life. You can get somebody who is not as qualified or not as capable, but who's been in their prayer closet, who understands the need to be anointed from on high, and you can have that person sing to a group of people under the anointing, and do you know there'll be a power manifested that will absolutely dramatically change the lives of the people? And the people will want to gather around that person more so than the one who is perfectly taught? I want to show you that here in the Bible. Look at 1 Samuel 15. I'm sorry, 16. 1 Samuel 16. This is when the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit began to trouble him. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning or skillful player on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Notice, the Lord is with him. And we already know that by this time, David was already anointed to be king. Amen. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul the king. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Beloved, hold that thought for a moment. Can you, can you envision this? Can you see this? Here's a man troubled by an evil spirit, and David is anointed... He is skillful, yes, but he's most importantly anointed. And as he begins to play the harp, the anointing of God is so profoundly manifested that the evil spirit departs from Saul and he is well. Beloved, that's power. Think about that. That's powerful, isn't it? Well, if we have a singing ministry or a playing ministry, can you see the importance of having the power of God manifested. You see how important that is? Because when it is, it will absolutely dramatically change the lives of the people that you come in contact with. As, as you sing and as you play, people's lives will be touched and dramatically changed. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 10. Fourthly, the anointing of God will open the hearts of those that hear the word spoken or sung, even the music played. The anointing of God in manifestation through a believer's life as a river of life flowing out from him will open the hearts of the people. Now, beloved, none of us have the right tools to open up someone else's heart. How many of you out there have often said to yourself, if only I could reach that person. Have you ever done that? If only I could reach that person. That person could be a family member. That person can be your own child. That person can be your father. That person could be your mother. That person could be whoever. And you've said, if I could just reach that person, if I could just get my hand inside the heart and make a few adjustments there, you know what I mean? If there was a surgical procedure that could be performed 
you know, open up that chest, take out that heart if need be, and just make an adjustment here or there and put a new heart on the inside. If that brain could be just cut open, cut open that skull, get inside that brain, make a few adjustments and put some good things in there, the right kind of chips, you know, on the inside there, close it back up, and all of a sudden they're a different person. How often have we desired to do that with people who we know are on their road to eternal damnation and we want to just get them off the road and they just don't know they're on that road. And we want to get them off that road. We want to get them saved. We want to get them into the family of God. But we just cannot reach their hearts no matter what we say. Too often, it's because we're trying to do it in the flesh. We are so desperately wanting to reach our loved ones for Jesus that we try to do it in the flesh and we end up offending them or insulting them rather than reaching them. But I've got some tremendous news for you this morning. The Holy Ghost, if allowed to through your life, will touch and open the hearts of people. Look at verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day, this is Isaiah 10, that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. People are in bondage. They're yoked with darkness. Their minds are blinded. Their hearts are estranged from God. And they can't be reached. They don't know they're all on the right, wrong road. How do we reach them? The anointing will break the yoke of bondage. The anointing will break the yoke of bondage. See, there is the anointing of God manifested through you as you, through love, communicate Jesus to people that will absolutely open up people's hearts and set them free. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, if you would, please, in chapter 2, and I want to show you this, a picture of this, right here for you in the Bible. There were many people that were not saved after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were many that rejected Jesus and rejected the story or the testimony of His resurrection from the dead. You know that as well as I do. Jesus was now gone from the scene. He's no longer there. He died. The disciples said He rose again and all that. There was all kind of noise being spread abroad and about. And all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, something takes place in an upper room. Those who were to be His witnesses were where Jesus told them to be, waiting for the Holy Ghost to come upon them, Right? They didn't go into Jerusalem and begin to spread the resurrection beforehand and witness about Jesus beforehand only to each other. They waited. There they were, thirsty, hungry, obedient to God. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that sat upon each of them that filled the whole house where they were sitting and sat upon each of them and there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This anointing came upon them. They received the dunamis that Jesus spoke of when He said, Go there and wait. This power upon them in manifestation caused a stir among the people there in the city. And the people just began to, to wonder what was going on. And some said, these men are drunk men. Look at them, they're drunk. And Peter, by the Holy Ghost, began to preach. The Holy Ghost fell upon him in such a way, he was endued with a new power that enabled him to preach with an ability that he had never possessed before. And he began to, to speak out and he said, look, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, saying in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see, have visions, and old men shall dream dreams. It shall come to pass. And he goes on, and he begins to preach Jesus right there in Jerusalem to all these people. I mean, the fire of God is upon him. The anointing of God is upon him. He is a possessed man with the Holy Ghost and power. What happens? Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Acts 2.37. Don't you just love the way he just gets done preaching this fiery message and then he just calmly says, Now, when they heard this, they were what? Pricked in their... What? Did you hear what we just said before? 
Wouldn't you like to have some kind of device to get right into the heart of that person? Right inside their brain to prick, to pierce, to penetrate, and adjust, wouldn't you? After they heard this, they were what? Pricked. How? By the hand of God. You know, when you're anointed from on high, do you realize you give place so that the hand of God can make adjustments in the hearts of men? Are you listening? They were pricked in their heart. Look at their next question. Do you think you'd have any problem answering this question? They were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the mission of your sins, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. In other words, how shall we get saved? Wouldn't you like that kind of a turnaround to take place in people's lives? That's not the only incident. I want you to turn back to Luke 24. <clears throat> I'd rather preach the Word than my theories, beloved. <clears throat> Luke 24. You'd have to read the whole thing in context, but I'll just point out the Scripture that's um, relevant. It's found over here in uh, verse 32. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and there was some spreading about of what took place. These men heard some things that took place and the others began to spread this news throughout Jerusalem. They're on their way to Emmaus and while they're walking away discussing among themselves these two men about Jesus, suddenly someone appears to them and they don't know that it's Jesus. And so while they're walking and talking, Jesus is talking with them and says, what are you guys talking about? They said, oh, we're talking about this Jesus of Nazareth that supposedly has been resurrected from the dead. And said, he said, what are you talking about? And they said, man, where have you been? In other words, what's going on in your life? You living in a cellar somewhere? Haven't you heard? Heard about what, Jesus said? About the one they crucified. The one they said, they, they said he rose from the dead. Told his disciples he'd be raised from... I mean, he's going, you know, he's just playing with them a little bit. And he's talking to them then, and he begins to expound all the scriptures. So now Jesus begins to talk to them about Moses, about the prophets, about the Christ, and who Christ was, and when he would come, and, and what would take place, and all that. And then finally, he makes himself known to them. Their eyes are open, and they realize it was him. Look at verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. Did you hear that, beloved? You've got a heart burning device. You've got a heart pricking device. It's not any tool you can hold in your hand, it's found in your prayer closet. It's found by the unction or the anointing of the Spirit of God. It will touch hearts. And change lives. The Spirit of God and the anointing will touch people's hearts and their lives in a powerful way. If we'll maintain a constant inflow and recognize the anointing and its work. It will break the yoke of bondage, undo the heavy burdens and let the people go free. It will take hearts that are hardened and cause a burning to take place within them that will soften them. And make them more receptive to Jesus. Number five, and just real quickly, just write this one down. I'm not going to take time to, to really get into it. In Mark 16, 20, the anointing will confirm the message of the Word. Sometimes inwardly, sometimes outwardly. How many of you recall the time when Moses went before Pharaoh? And Pharaoh would not let the people of Israel go. And as a result, many manifestations took place. Remember that? The ten plagues took place. The power of God was manifested, and then Pharaoh had no choice but to let the people go. Remember when Elijah was before the prophets of Baal, and the prophets of Baal, you know, tried to, to call upon their God and rain fire down from heaven to, to burn the sacrifice. Remember that story? But yet, nothing took place, nothing happened. 
But then when Elijah called upon the name of the Lord Jehovah God, the message of the word he spoke was confirmed when the fire of God came out of heaven and burned up the sacrifice. Do you remember that? He'll confirm. The anointing is there to confirm the message of the word inwardly and also sometimes outwardly in a visible way. And we see that happening there. And then throughout all the book of Acts, we see it taking place. And through the Gospels, we see it taking place. But the Holy Ghost will confirm the Word of God. And that's why Paul said when he came preaching, that my preaching and teaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that word power there, take a quick guess what word that is in the Greek. Dunamis. You get an A. It was miracle power that was manifested when Paul preached and taught the Word of God. Well, obviously, it's available to all saints because he said you receive the same power from on high. Now, I want to close in Psalm 92, if you would please, and verse 20. And this connects what I said way back when with regard to the inflow of power in order to have an outflow of rivers of living water. In Psalm 92 and verse 10, another important fact about the anointing of God is that the anointing of God is not constant in a person's life apart from him doing something to keep it constant. The anointing of God doesn't automatically increase or remain constant in our lives it diminishes through the cares of this world and through life circumstances. It decreases and diminishes in a person's life if he or she is overcome with life's problems. In other words, if we don't give attention to it, then the anointing decreases or diminishes. So if you have a singing ministry, if you have a music ministry, whatever it is that you do for God, you preach, you teach, whatever it is, you teach Sunday school, whatever, your anointing is not automatically constant. It diminishes through the cares of this world. There is something that we can do to increase it and to keep it constantly flowing. I'll show you that here in Psalm 92. And I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Bible David, of course, is speaking. And remember, David was anointed from on high, and so he had an understanding of the anointing of God. It says, But my horn, which is an emblem of excessive strength and stately grace, you have exalted like that of a wild ox. I am anointed with fresh oil. Now listen carefully. Without... The fresh oil of God's anointing, a fresh inflow of God's anointing, there cannot be a constant outflow of rivers of living water. Is that understandable? I mean, we have a perfect illustration right now with all that's going on in California, with all the flooding that's going on. If it constantly rains and constantly rains and constantly rains, what happens? The rivers begin to overflow. If it stops raining and stops raining, what happens to the rivers of waters? They begin to dry up. But when there's more rain and more rain and more rain and more rain, the rivers run wild. I mean, that's pretty logical. We can see that very clear. Clearly. Same thing is true in our lives. There has got to be a constant inflow. A constant inflow, intake. Let him drink. One must constantly be drinking in. Jesus himself would separate himself and get into the Father's presence so he would have a constant inflow of God's ability, a refreshing of this oil. He said here, like David, he said, I'll be anointed with fresh oil. I like my bread fresh daily. What about you? Do you like fresh bread? Try Tarquinio. It's, it's excellent fresh bread. Good Italian bread. I like it fresh daily. No preservatives because, you know, the next day forget it. It's not, that's not that good at all. Got to get it the day they make it. Fresh. You want fresh oil? You've got to get it every day. Every day. And with the constant fresh oil coming in, there is a constant outflow of rivers of life 
rivers of an anointing that will absolutely revolutionize and change dramatically the lives of the people you come in contact with. It will flow out from you in a powerful way. And how do I do that? Well, beloved, we've got to get into God's presence. We have got to get into God's presence and we have got to draw and drink from those waters of life daily. We have got to make a habit of getting in there and drinking in the waters of life. You see, we're not going to be full unless we do our part. And in Ephesians 5.18 it says, Be being filled with the Holy Ghost by speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, through constant worship, praise, and prayer. The effectual fervent prayer, James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer in the Amplified of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Did you hear that? The effectual fervent prayer. Getting into God's presence and then praying with your understanding and saying, Father God, I am insufficient of myself to accomplish anything. Your work is not accomplished in the power of human strength or might. I acknowledge my need for power in my life today. I need fresh oil from above. See, sometimes, beloved, because we've been Spirit-filled, we think it's a constant thing. It's a constant state. Beloved, Pentecostal or not, it is not a constant state in our lives. There is a need to be filled with the Holy Ghost on a day-by-day basis. There is a need to drink from the waters of life on a day-by-day basis. And if we will, there'll be constant rivers of living water flowing out from us and touching the hearts and the lives of people that we minister to through song, through music, through preaching, through witnessing, right there on the job, right there where you work. It'll not be as much what you say as it is, what you say is anointed by the Spirit of the living God and pricks and pierces the very hearts of the people you speak to. That's the difference. Amen. That's the difference. And you see, we can do it. We can have it if we, if we thirst for it. If we thirst for it. So, beloved, getting into God's presence with this earnest desire and ardent zeal to have that in your life will leave you in a position or a place to be filled with rivers of living water. Now listen. I said I'd close here and I am. But I don't want to stop with that verse because the rest are too good. See, the person, the person, listen carefully. This is connected with the anointing. The person who allows the anointing to do the work gets himself out of the way, lets the anointing do it will be long-lived and still fruitful in a ripe old age. The person who does it in his own strength will burn out because of the work of, of the ministry. You know how many burnout ministers there are right now? Listen carefully. But my horn, you'll exalt. I'm anointed with fresh oil in verse 10. Verse 11 My eyes look upon those who lie in wait for me. My ears hear the evil doers that rise up against me. But the uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. That's you. Long-lived, stately, upright, useful, and fruitful, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, being majestic, stable, durable, incorruptible. Planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. Growing in grace, which is God's operational power, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Why? It's not the physical that's doing it. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. 
Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.